AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's how we own it! What's up, family? It's your girl, Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of Street Politicians, the, the place, place where the streets and, and politics meet. meet. What's up, Mice? A lot happening. Yeah, man. It's been a tough week, man. It's one, it's one of them weeks that your body start hurting, your mind start hurting, your heart hurt. It's a lot going on. Yeah, the travel, too, has been brutal. We've been zigzagging across the country going and spending a little time with the team down in Brunswick, Georgia. We went down and hugged up and loved up on Wanda Cooper, uh, Ahmaud Arbery's mother, and also spent some time with our legal friends, Lee Merritt, and Benjamin Crump, and the whole team there, um, you know, and really to support the family. Also got to see our sister, Teslin Figaro, um, you know, until freedom doing what we do. And uh, that was one part of our journey. Um, and we have continued over the last, I guess, you know, several days, uh, last several weeks. I think I was talking to our guests that are coming up today, special guests, about how many flights we as Until Freedom have been on in the last week. And we were somewhere at like 12 flights, the last few weeks, excuse me, um, 12 flights with connections and whatever else. It's, it's definitely mentally, physically, and emotionally taxing. Yeah, it really is, man. Just, you know, for me, this Rittenhouse um, verdict, even though it wasn't shocking, it's still, it's still demoralizing. It just takes a lot of wind out of yourselves. When we can look at, you know, the same situations go over and over and people justify senseless murder and things of that nature, especially when it comes to either us or situations that regard us. You know, it just gives me, when I was watching, then today, I'm, you know, we were still waiting on the um, verdict for the Mar Arbery trial. And then they did. No, it's know, not the Amar Arbery trial. Please you're don't 100% right. Please don't say that. They're killing me. <laughs> 
the trial for the murderers of Ahmaud Arbery. And um, yeah. the jury requested to see that video again. And every time, I don't care how many times I see it, it's still just, it just terrorizes me. It just destroys my whole soul. And then it, it gets back to the situation with, you know, Trayvon Martin. It's the same exact, when you really think about it, it's the same exact thing that, you know, these people think they have the privilege you know, to walk up to these guns and demand that you stand somewhere and demand that you do what they tell you. And, and when you fight for your life, you have to even, you have to fight to be able to fight for your life. You have to give, you have to give reasoning to why people can't just contain you and, and, and shoot you without, without you doing anything wrong, man, as a black man in America. So, you know, that was, alone was a lot. And then, the, like you said, the traveling, the wear and tear on my body, you know, but it is what it is, man. This is the life that chose us. This is what, you know, God put us here to do, man. So as much as it gets us weary, man, it's, it's what we got to do. So It's what we have to do. It's what we're called to do. And um, I am glad to be doing it with two people that are, are going to join us today. Uh, I posted <clears throat> yesterday, uh, you and, and, and my brother, Angelo Pinto, who's coming up. Y'all gotten on my nerves so bad with all our conversations, cause you know, we talk deep. Um, and I was thinking about how much y'all annoy me and then yet how I couldn't do what I do without you all. Um, you know, how these, these, these road trips and um, the, the, the time that we're out away from our families, away from the comfort of our homes, um, the, the stress of dealing with the naysayers and also all of the traumatized people in our communities that need us um, or, or that don't think they need us and just all that we have to deal with. I don't know how I could uh, sustain myself and keep doing this work without having the type of crew and family that I have. And so having our brother and sister, uh, attorney Angelo Pinto and also Linda Sarsour, my partner in everything, uh, to be on with us today for this special. Today, we're going to just talk straight through about some of these, these, these cases. We've been talking so much about it in the car while we were down uh, at the, the, uh, the thankful, thankfully, it was not the execution of Julius Jones, but it could have been. And we were on the road, driving back and forth from taking flights, Tulsa, Oklahoma, that was just last week. You would think that this, these things are happening like far and spread apart, but in fact, they're happening right behind one another. And that was just, again, last week that we were on the road and the conversations that we have are so deep. We said, we got to bring them to the street politicians family and really have the transparent moment of talking about where we are and and what we think as leaders, as organizers, um, as we, we navigate through these, these cold waters, because they certainly, they're certainly are, are cold. Uh, but before we bring them on, uh, I was gonna give you my thought of the day today. Because I was really thinking. You know, when I get a chance throughout these flights, I sit and I scroll through Instagram and I'm trying to figure out why people are running in stores, stealing these folks stuff, stealing the Nordstrom's. I think I just see here in New York City last night, they ran into, I believe it may have been like the Louis Vuitton store or something like that. It's, it's I guess the dash and grab is what they call it. 
Yeah, that's that's one of the, the terms of it in the hood, dash and grab. Yeah, but dash. you, you go grab and dash. Yeah, that would that that would be the um, the right um order of it. They grab and then they dash. <laughs> Though they grabbing and dashing all over the country, robbing the Nordstroms, the Neiman Marcus stores. But I this the the, the thought I had. I, first of all, I think that's just ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, there'll be some who'll say, yeah, but in a capitalist society, people gonna take their reparations and da-da-da, you know, people ain't got no jobs and whatever. That's, you know, I still think it's ridiculous. And last night, the situation got serious because the video that I saw, the police, and I believe, again, it was in New York, the police ran up to people who were trying to get away in a car in traffic so the car wasn't moving, you idiot. And the police ran up and bust the windows out. The person got dragged out. There was three police officers with batons banging the windows, glass everywhere. Like the situation is dangerous. But what I what really confuses me is the group that I, I think was in North Carolina. It was like a hundred of them. Why do people do crimes together and think that no one is going to tell who was involved with the incident? It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, because it doesn't make sense at all. It's it's a very primitive and and and, and futile, um, feeble-minded <laughs> of, of act. Because if you from you know anything about crime, there's always somebody to tell. And the more people that you do a crime with, the more opportunities and the more people are going to tell on you. So I think desperation, I think ignorance to certain things. I think some people just want to be involved. There's a lot of those people probably was like, oh, that's what they do. And let me just jump in the get up, you know? And it's, it's, it becomes this this mob mentality. And it's it's really not smart at all. But you know, like you said, some people are going to say in a capitalist society, this is what people are forced to do. We're in the holidays. People have been, you know, have been taught to glorify these presents and gifts and things that needed to have, you know, that they feel like they need to have. And, and it's just, it's really messed up, man, really. Well, let's bring our guest on, because I want to hear from attorney Angelo Pinto. How many years can you get when you are grabbing and dashing? Because I believe it's got to be some real time associated with it. And maybe these young people particularly that are doing this in these mobs think that it's something fun or like you said, just something to get involved with. But I don't think that this is smart because I think it's going to put some time on their lives and put, put them in a situation. So uh, attorney Angelo Pinto, my brother, our brother, our friends, and Linda Sarsour, are you with us? Yes. We're here. How y'all doing today? Not bad, feeling good, feeling great. Grateful oh, to be alive. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, I got some rest. God, good for y'all, man. Cause I'm getting some as soon as I get off of this thing. Give me a little, <laughs> couple more hours. Gotta sleep. So what so I don't know if you were listening to us, um, Angelo, our resident attorney. We're just trying to figure out with the grab and dash, what kind of charges are associated with that? Good old grab and dash. I mean, I think that in that scenario, it's really going to be contingent on what they get charged with. And they'll probably depend, and then it depends on, right, the cost of the items they're stealing. Um, but it'll probably be grand larceny because they're in high-end retail stores. 
Um, they can likely get a conspiracy charge because they're acting in concert with so many folks. But it appears also that because this is kind of a, a newer phenomenon, or at least one that is getting a lot of attention in this moment because it's happening around the country, that they may try to throw another charge at them simply to kind of send a message that we're not going to tolerate this. So, you know, it really varies. And I haven't really seen how states are handling these scenarios. Um, because oftentimes also when folks are stealing at the mall, you're usually not thinking you're going to get a very serious charge. But I think mm -hmm. these circumstances are a little different. They're high-end stores. They're actually kind of pretty big grabs when you think about how many people are acting in concert together. Um, and it's something that's been happening a lot more frequently. So, you know, I think we're going to have to wait and see a little bit. Um, but I think as a start, you're probably going to see some grand larceny charges. You're probably going to see some conspiracy charges with folks acting in concert. Um, and I think in that case that you mentioned earlier that happened in New York, where now you're having this very serious interaction with law enforcement, you might see resisting arrest charges. So they're probably going to do everything they can to throw everything they can at them and trump up charges so that something sticks. So they send a message that this just can't happen and can't be tolerated. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out in straits across the country. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that um, they're going to want to send a message. You know, they're going to want to make some people examples. So the, what you would normally probably get for the same thing probably be hyped up a lot more. Yeah, I think so too. But I, you know, just like I said, I worry about it because feels like yet another thing that will put, you know, uh, criminal records on Black folks, particularly Black men in our communities, and even before they really get started in life, um, which we're already trying to fight against, so they can get some Gucci Poochie and Tucci. Like, I just don't, you know, I don't, I don't, and I guess, you know, how can we, 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 um, all of us are I guess guilty, if you will. I don't know if you call it guilty. I wouldn't say guilty, but all of us participate in, um, you know, wearing nice things and having labels. So perhaps that is what some will use as an excuse for this behavior. But I think that we all, you know, you, you got to go through the route of working hard and doing what you have to do to be able to get it. And, you know, it's crazy that some people don't think that that's the, that that is, you know, the answer. And, you know, we were just talking a little bit minds yesterday about this idea that people want to have, do, and be, and don't want to work to get to whatever it is that they're trying to get in society. And so, you know, I know that there are folks who probably want us to say well, and to, you know, make excuses for the behavior, but it really feels like this is going to turn out as something else where our communities will be criminalized and where uh, that conspiracy charge is so dangerous is that there'll be young people who will just have been there, just went downtown. Maybe you got on the train that day with them. You didn't necessarily go in the store, but guess what? The charges will apply across the board. That's how it works, right? Uh, if you're acting in concert with folks, yeah, most certainly. I mean, it's not clear that that's how they'll charge them, but it seems like they're going to have to do something that they traditionally don't do and that, you know, in these scenarios, folks are acting in concert. So it would make sense that that's something that they also throw at them. at t connects an ode to podcasts. 
Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes. I guess identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's how we own it! Well, listen, speaking of acting in concert, let's talk about these cases and these situations. You know, here we are today sitting... Um, waiting for the verdict to come in from a jury that is deliberating in the Ahmaud Arbery, um, the matter of the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. And, you know, there are three individuals who they acted in concert. Let me get my legal stuff. That's what they did, right? I would say so. I mean, I think they're making a case, as we saw when we were at the trial, was that two days ago or yesterday? that they're gonna try to make the case that in fact, that's not what took place and that these individuals were all acting separately um, and their actions should not be kind of connected together. So I think they're saying that that in fact did not happen. And I think what you see happening on the other end is them saying that in fact, this was these folks acting in concert, you know, really to meet or to see the demise of, of Brother Arbery. Hmm. Yeah. It definitely, they definitely acted in concert, man. They were in unison. The people drove their trucks, you know, and they, they flushed him out and they cornered him, you know, and, and falsely imprisoned him as, you know, they've been charged with. And it's just, for me, you know, I just don't, I just, America's just a very weird place to me, man. When, when you can have people justify things of that nature, it's just very weird. Hmm. I mean, I think, go ahead, I was going to ask Linda, you know, what 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 is going through your mind as you're sitting here waiting on this verdict today? Do you feel hopeful? You kind of feel like because yesterday you were like, I don't know. So today, just because of the videos that have been requested by the jury, do you feel more hopeful? 
I don't know, the system, I feel like we've learned not to put too much hope in the system. Originally, I felt like it was pretty clear to me and to anyone with a conscious and really anyone with eyes um, and ears that was listening to the evidence that the, the killers of Ahmad Aubrey are guilty. But then I watched how the defense tried to take the jurors off course and tried to confuse them. And I think she um, might have done um, some damage in that regard. So I don't know. I'm feeling like if it was clear that they were guilty, they were already deliberating for hours. Um, and so I'm hoping that um, you know God intervenes and so justice is served. But I, I feel I, I'm not sure how I feel. I'm confused. I'm not sure if I feel hopeful or I'm not sure if I feel like they're going to come back with something that's um, not going to be acceptable. What would be the justification, though, Angelo? Like, I don't get it. I'm. Who, how do people make the case of self-defense when they started the situation? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the sad part about this, and I don't think you can really divorce these two things from this conversation, is that, of course, there's the law. And people always say, and I think, you know, I heard it when we were listening to closing statements the other day. Um, one of the defense attorneys mentioned that he's really just trying to apply the law to the circumstances. And for me, I think that's never what happens, right? There's always bias. There's always a variety of factors at play when a jury's hearing a trial or when anyone is really listening to a trial. It's hard to truly divorce your internal biases from that proceeding. And I think one of the most clear and present internal bias that exists in America is around race. Um, and it's around racism and it's around people who they consider criminals who are traditionally black and brown folks. So I think what you see happening in this case, the other piece to that, and I think you see what you happening in this case is the flip side where white folks are given the extreme beyond the benefit of the doubt. Um, they get a get all jail free card, they get judicial kind of coddling. They get a number, they get money for their case to fight a case where they were wrong that everyone witnessed and got to see on tape. So I think what you're seeing also is the way in which the judicial system works with white folks and the way in which the judicial system works with black folks. And I think that's a big piece of what's playing out in this case. So things that you would traditionally look at and say, hold on, wait, this person is guilty. This is, should be an open and shut case. Now, because a person is white, now because of the ways in which the attorneys work on the case, there's a lot more latitude at saying, well, in fact, maybe that's not what happened. And they're throwing in all these potential factors and circumstances that would make someone potentially consider that a murder is not in fact a murder. And I think that's what you're seeing play out. And in this case, I think that's what you saw play out in the Rittenhouse case, but it's not what you ever see play out when black folks find themselves in similar circumstances. And it's similar. I mean, the reason why I always tell people, you know, we can't put our hopes up too high is that you know, Trayvon Martin was unarmed. Um, he was walking uh, around a neighborhood that he had every right to walk around in. And just for being black um, and, and, and deemed suspicious by a vigilante, he was murdered. And George Zimmerman, who murdered Trayvon Martin, got off. Um, and so I think it's important that with all that's happening around us, Rittenhouse, with the, the Mard Arbery um, case uh, uh, of the murderers, um, the McDaniels and all the, McMichaels, excuse me, 
and just everything else, Tanisha Chappelle and the many cases, Savior Hill, there's so many ongoing cases that still have not in, gotten justice that it's important for us from a mental health perspective to not set our hopes up too high because this country disappoints us over and over and over again. And some, uh, an attorney, a conservative attorney was um, chatting with me on Facebook and he said to me, he said, listen, he said, you may be mad about the Rittenhouse case, but he goes, the bottom line, if you want to be mad, you got to be mad at the laws, not the not the, the the verdict that came out. So it also is that we have, as Angela said, we just got faulty laws and, and the laws that are not applied across the board equally. Um, and, and not everybody could use the same defenses. So, so Rittenhouse can say self-defense. And, you know, my understanding of self-defense is that, you know, if I'm if, if there's a, a situation happening in my neighborhood, and you come outside carrying a gun in front of my house, and then you shoot people in front of my house. But I didn't ask you to defend my house. I didn't ask you to defend my property. I don't know how you could claim that you're protecting a property in a place that you're not from. And then what's interesting also about the Rittenhouse case was, and I don't know how they argued this, but the bottom line is you're a minor. You shouldn't even be carrying a gun anyhow. Um, forget about the fact about how you got the gun. No one was held accountable for that part. But you're a minor, you shouldn't even be carrying a semi-automatic rifle. And I don't know how that went under the radar, but again, faulty laws, bias in the courtroom. Um, and, you know, as, as a lot of our people say, you know, they're guilty before they get to the courtroom. And that's if they make it to the courtroom under these similar circumstances. I don't, I don't know if I think that it's the law, though. That's where I always have a challenge, because I'm like, I don't think if you change the laws, because folks have been working on that for a long time, too that changes the circumstances with respect to how white folks will be viewed in the criminal justice system, the kind of bias in favor of them, the kind of privilege in favor of them. I think changing the law doesn't change that. I know people make that argument all the time. You know, it's the law, but it's like, sure it is. Um, but if someone is going to decide to bend and maneuver the law in a way to tailor kind of outcomes for a particular group of individuals, no matter how you change that, you're going to see that. Um, and I think the, the, the Dred Scott decision that said that no black person has any rights that a white person has to honor, right? So that is the undercurrent. That is the- Wow, I, I've, the, never even, I've never even heard that before. Say that again. Um, basically that no, no black person has a right, any rights that a white person has to honor. Right. Yeah. I believe that was in the Dred Scott decision. And so that's what you really see playing out here, that the fact that under normal circumstances, this individual would go to jail for his actions, but for that it was done to a Black person and they happen to be white. So I don't know if changing the laws changes that American sentiment that has been around for a very long time. Exactly. And, and when you look at these situations and you know that it's not the law because you won't ever see those laws benefit a black person. You know, right. you'll see a black person take their guns to a place where they're not from and be able to say that they were protecting someone or they were self-defense when they went and initiated any level of, you know, um, interaction with someone. That, that's, you. I've never heard of such a thing. I know people like myself, which I posted, you know, I, I was found guilty of a robbery with a gun that they never found, with items they never found, just on the word of somebody. And I was never even at the scene of the crime, but I was sentenced to two to four years for a gun that never even was showed up, that never they never seen, that they, it, it's a, a mystery gun. But yet and still, we watch 
Kyle Rittenhouse, Rittenhouse go to a place with a gun that he shouldn't have been at, saying that he's protecting property that wasn't his, that nobody asked him to, and then say that all these people who didn't have guns, who didn't, they initiated violence against him and he was protecting his life. And that mind state comes from a white supremacist mind state. It, it comes from uh, the mentality that white people can do what they want and they shouldn't be questioned. And you know, the, uh, the interesting thing that we heard at the trial, which was, it was shocking, but it also wasn't surprising, which is what I think a lot of these cases are, is a white woman saying that he should have just been captured, right? Ahmad should have just allowed them to capture him. And that sentiment speaks to this. A man should have allowed three white men who don't have badges, who are in their own cars, to essentially stop him in the middle of the street, guns drawn, and he should have just put his hands up and laid down on the floor for random white folks. Um, and for me, I was saying to someone, what this seems like to me is that every white person in America is essentially deputized as law enforcement against every black person in America. And I think you saw that in the George Zimmerman trial. I think that's what you actually see happening. White folks can engage black folks in any way they want. They can be judge, jury, and executioner, and they can determine if the law is broken or not without law enforcement, without a prosecutor, and without a judge standing in their place or making that decision. They could do it themselves and then have the law as it exists say you were right. Mm, that's that's deep. I, I wanna I wanna go right back to something real quick and then come back into that, Angelo, because I think that's a powerful point. But Linda and and you, Angelo, do you got would you all consider, because you know I'm learning and street politicians is about we learn and we teach. Do you consider Kyle Rittenhouse to be an insurrectionist? Is that a part of the insurrection mentality? Absolutely. I mean, you watched Kyle in videos at bars, um, talking to people who could be seen as affiliated with some of these groups that showed up on January 6th. I mean, the 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 the, the audacity that they have that they can just walk around um, while people are engaging in First Amendment right um, activities uh, and, and just carry a semi-automatic weapon across state lines. Um, this is what the insurrectionist mindset is. They thought, they, they believed they could stroll up into Washington, D.C., go inside the Capitol, break the windows, you know, uh, harass police officers, steal documents from members of Congress's office. And they really believed in their hearts that they were going to do that and just get away with it. And the, 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 the mentality is, I'm going to do these things and I'm going to get away with it. Just, to, the, just that, just that idea that you, they have in their mind is something that none of us understand. And you and me, Tamika, we've been arrested plenty of times um, in Washington, D.C., in some of the same places that we watch them destroy. The, the, the same, we walk down the same hallways that they march down. And we got arrested for doing nothing but using our, 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 our mouths, our words. And I remember when we were uh, protesting against Kavanaugh, the Kavanaugh nomination to the Supreme Court, all I did was in the Senate chambers, I just stood up and all I said was, this is a travesty of justice, a mockery of our democracy. That's all I did. I just used my words. And all of a sudden, a white police officer literally dragged me across seven chairs and I had bruises on one side of my body for weeks after that. That's all I did. And then not seeing the same treatment. And I'm not saying that I want to see people abused and whatever. But the point is, is again, the application of, of like we go there understanding that just a standing and blocking a hallway is going to get us arrested. The fact that they thought they could destroy windows and climb up the sides of the buildings and not is the same mentality that Kyle had. He was he was looking at these people like I could be like them. He was a young, impressionable boy who was like, this is what I strive to be. 
And the thing is, I don't think it's just that they're going to get off, right? Like, in the Rittenhouse case is a great example. He didn't just get off. He didn't just get the judge saying he was a nice boy. He's gotten national attention. He's gotten congressmen to say they want to give him an internship. He's gotten President Trump to tweet about him and stand with him in pictures and laud him. He's gotten much more than simply getting off. And Black folks, when we find, and other folks, when we find ourselves in a similar situation, as you mentioned, Linda, when you were arrested in D.C., you didn't just get arrested. You got dragged. You got pulled. You got thrown. So I think the important piece is not just that folks are getting off, but that folks are getting a lot more when they get off. And it's not just that Black folks get arrested, but it's that you might die, you might get killed, you might get tortured in jail when you get arrested. So you see these very two extremes play out when Black folks versus white folks find themselves in the clutches of the criminal justice system. So I think we have to be more careful in how we explain these very different experiences when two different folks enter the same system. To me, that is where just injustice and inequality kind of reign through the most. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's telling me, Angelo. And I think for me, <laughs> it, 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 it just, you know, it, it, um, it just tells the mentality of America. You know, like you said, Rittenhouse raised about $10 million for his legal funds. You know, and then when you see him with um, 45, it's like, wow. You know, it's not like wild to me. It's not like wild to me. It's not all. like wild to you, but it's like, you know what? I think it's like wild because it's so blatant. It's so blatant that we can just see this. And this is, this is, a, and then a day afterwards, you know, um, the people that he's praises, you know, they actually, the Proud Boys and other um, people who were, um, the people who were, what's the lady's name, who was killed during the um, Charlottesville race white supremacy. Oh yeah. Uh what, what was her name? The the white woman that was Heather Hyer. Heather Hyer. Exactly. Yes. Heather Hyer. Her her and other people were awarded 26 million. So it's like you see and we recognize what's going on in America. And sometimes it's it, it's painful, but we we've become so numb and you know jaded to the reality of racism in America and white supremacy and how it shows up like Angelo say differently for us, how we can be thrown for merely stating our opinion and, and, and damn near killed for stating our opinion when they can kill people and be celebrated and called a hero. You know, people mm -hmm. who, who aren't any threat to them. You know, I don't, I, I still can't, every time I think about this case, the Rittenhouse case, it just brings me back. And Ahmaud Arbery, it brings me back to Trayvon. It's the same thing a young black boy walking down the street and someone who is armed feel like they have to protect the community against this man because they're walking by black or they're jogging by black, you know? But, the people, but people will push back against that. And this, um, you know, I, I want us all to talk about as well because I am so confused as to why there are many black people who don't see how the Rittenhouse situation is a black issue. And so well, there are people push back against that because they'll say it's not Trayvon. It's not the same thing. These were white people killing white people and they they feel you're race baiting when you try to bring the two issues together. Well, the reality of the situation is that a white man went to a black rally, a rally that was about an officer who shot and, and paralyzed a black man for who was unarmed, who was walking to his car and shot the man in the back. And this rally was against 
protesting against the violence that the police had done to a black man. So when Kyle Rittenhouse left his home, he knew that there was a rally that was going on for black people. And he said, I'm bringing my gun and these people are not going to do things to this community because I'm going to step up and I'm going to do this and I'm tired of this and I'm, this is what I'm doing. So his mind state when he went to that rally was that it was a pro-black rally. It was something that black people were protesting against. When he got to that rally, he met white allies of black people who seen him out there. And he probably antagonized those people and said, hey, you guys are this and this and that, and we don't care about Black Lives Matter and all this shit. And he got into altercations with those people. I, I, I very doubt that the people that chased him and all of that, who didn't have guns, that they initiated violence with him. I just don't see that. The same way, even though I wasn't there for Trayvon and Zimmerman, I doubt that Trayvon lured a man with a gun into an alley, you know, and said, oh, you know what? You're, I'm a young boy and I'm gonna lure you into this dark alley while you have a gun so that I can be the aggressor against you. And, and the mind state that comes with that is the mind state of individuals saying that black people are dangerous, right? It is it, the mindset of saying that all people around black people, anything that's attached to black people, black allies, all the, you know, the, the whole narrative that they was talking, that the Black Lives Matter protests or, or riots and people are, are, are crazy and everybody is the most dangerous people in the world. So this is where the mentality comes from. And this is where the racism enacts. The, the initial thought process of Cal Rittenhouse was I'm going to a black rally with my gun and whatever I have to do with this gun, I'm going to do it. So if people don't identify that as racism and, and, and you know, and realize what he was there for with the mentality, how he drove across state line, this young boy, who shouldn't even have been with any gun at all, drove across state lines. What was his mentality? How, who emboldened him to think that he should be out there doing this? You know, and it's the only thing that does that is white supremacy. Yeah, because he was out there, in my judgment, to, to take care of nigga lovers. Because that's what it is. Like, I don't, I don't even know why. I think some people just want Maybe they, they, they just don't want to believe what's right before their eyes in terms of the racism and all of the injustice and oppression that they see. So perhaps they're just like trying to come up with a way to make, make it make sense. But then there are other people that are just straight trolls. They know better, but they have decided that they're going to take a position against our communities because maybe it's more comfortable for them on the other side. These are the Candace Owen lovers. These are the ones who, um, you know, will tell us how Trump did a lot for Black people that I still haven't figured out what it is. You know, these are folks who, who will get us caught up in conversations that we know make absolutely no sense because I find myself trying to explain even to family members why some of these situations can be deemed as racist and they, you know, they say, no, not everything is racist. And it's not, you know, and no, we're not talking about everything. We're talking about the things that are. So, you know, I, I, I completely, I know for, for sure. In fact, I believe, and maybe y'all think something different, but I believe that when the judge said to Kyle Rittenhouse, you're a good boy, that he was not saying it 
in terms of like, oh, you know, you're so sweet and or kind or whatever, but that instead he was literally publicly saying to him, you did the right thing. That's what I think. I think the judge has a white supremacist mindset as well. Of course, he was saying, good job, boy. You know, you did good, you did well. And I think that's what America does. And I think you gotta, you just have to know history. Even like when the Freedom Rides took place and Cheney, Goodman and Schwerner were killed when they went down South, it was white allies who got murdered too. Right. And at some point, white supremacists are not differentiating between black folks and white allies. You're in the same pot, you're in the same boat. And I think that's what we saw in this trial, because the reality of it is, is it's not just that they're opposing black folks, which is of course what they're doing, but they're also opposing anything that threatens the power that they currently have. Mm. So if you're a white person or a white ally or a brown person or whatever person, and you're saying that white supremacy should not stand and function as it exists. If you say that black lives matter, if you say that black people should not be killed in the street, if you protest when it happens, you are in the same boat as black folks. Right. But and is, that, is that is that also and Linda, you can get in on this part. Is that also the immigration struggle? Is it that it threatens white power, if you will, to have immigrants be made whole in this country? Is it does it have something to do with the declining population um, of white people? Or do you think that it's just, you know, America's overloaded with it with folks and we just need to keep people out? The bottom line to me goes, that's exactly what the problem is. And that's also part of the fight around voting rights, around suppressing the, the rights of voters, um, particularly black voters and brown voters in poor communities across the country. The demographics of this country are changing, um, not only due to immigration, but also due to, to through um, intermarriage, uh, and then we're also watching black and brown communities build political power. So now we're starting to see more representation in the state legislators, in the city councils, even in Congress, and starting to see people talk about issues that the, the movement has been working on on the ground for decades, maybe some will say centuries. And so that's what's threatening them, seeing that they're losing power, they're losing grip uh, on, 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 on the centuries of, of, of just literally monopolizing power in corporations, in legislators, in, 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 in every aspect really of our lives. And immigration threatens that, um, and, and, and it, or at least in their mind, they believe that. But the bottom line is we need, this is a country that was, you know, kind of founded on this idea that you know, this is a place where people can flee political persecution, they can flee religious persecution, they can flee extreme poverty and come and have a chance at life. And a lot of these white folks themselves, they're not indigenous to this land. So it's always so hypocritical that we talk about, we don't want immigrants here um, and, then, and then not think about, as Angelo said, the history of this country. Like the, the pilgrims came here and they were undocumented immigrants. You didn't have no papers, nobody asked you to come here. You came because you were fleeing multiple things in Europe and other parts of the world. And that's how you got here in the first place. And now all of a sudden when they gain power and they have all this access, now they, they wanna stop other people from having that same opportunity. Uh, immigration is, 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 a, is a very divisive issue um, in this country and immigrants deserve to have full rights and full dignity. And if we weren't bombing people's countries, 
And if we weren't creating financial instability uh, against many of these nations and actually involving ourselves in ways that we shouldn't, maybe these people wouldn't want to come here either because nobody wants to leave their home. Nobody wants to leave everything that they knew to come to America. They come here because of very desperate measures. And the, and the pilgrims came here and pillaged, right? So to the point is that white folks were the first immigrants of this country. They were the first folks who came to the shores and tried to get in when folks didn't want them in. And they caused a tremendous amount of destruction at that. They didn't come in and say, hey, we just want to work. We want to work with you. They came in and caused destruction. And I think they also know the power that comes along with becoming politically involved, right? And assimilating. So they're beginning to witness other folks do what they did. And I think it makes them very fearful of what the future is to hold. And I don't think you could shake that. No, you can't. You can't shake it. I think that, you know, the inferiority complex that uh, many white people and particularly people who are in positions of power in this nation have is very dangerous. It always has been and it continues to be threatening, life-threatening to us. And here we are now sitting, waiting on um, a decision about something that I just, you know, just to, just to watch Ahmad's mom go through what she's going through. And I've, I've been at the um, side of way too many mothers for a long time that have had to sit through these trials and really are not confident. You know, they're just not confident that of what will happen and they should be. So it's a painful moment, but Mice, I know you had some other stuff you wanted to say. Um, and I just wanna thank y'all, my friends, uh, my comrades for, you know, let's, be, let's, let's continue to, to stay together because we all we got. Yeah, I just wanted to just get a consensus. Like at the end of the day, what are you guys, what is your gut feeling about this trial, man? I, I, I really think just based off, not just the evidence only, just based off of them wanting to see these tapes and hear this 911 call, I think there's probably one or two people in there that's trying to, you know, say, hey, I think maybe it was self-defense or it could have been. But I think the majority of people have the consensus of, you know, this man was murdered. I think for me that ultimately ultimately that, you know, they will be found guilty. That's just how I feel. I believe, unfortunately, you know, America doesn't give you much to believe in, but I just believe that this is too heinous and it's too obvious for, you know, a, a jury, complete jury to just say that it didn't happen. Just, just, just how I feel. Maybe I'm, I'm wishful thinking. Yeah, I think it's crazy. And I think the same was true in so many cases that we actually have to watch the trial, the trial, <clears throat> excuse me, of a murder that we witnessed. Like we're actually watching the trial of a murder that we all saw caught on tape, which is insanity if it's not open and shut in some degree. But I think in this situation, my gut is telling me that it's going to be a hung jury. I don't think you have the circumstances in the Rittenhouse case where you have a young white boy where folks can look at him and see their child and they're super overly sympathetic and don't want anything bad to happen to him. I think you're gonna have some folks in the jury that say, hold on, these older white men did something wrong, but I think you're gonna have enough jurors or at least one juror in the mix to also say, well, maybe they didn't do it or maybe the law shouldn't be applied to them like that. And I think what you're gonna see, this is my perspective as a hung jury, they're not gonna be found guilty. They're not gonna be found innocent, but I think the jury is not gonna be able to come together and decide kind of the guilt or innocence on this case. And as a result, these folks are gonna get off.
I'm with Angela. I'm with Angela on that one. The uncertainty of it all. And, and what people have to understand about these types of trials is that all it takes is one person, one person to say, I don't agree that they're guilty uh, because the jury has to come back with pretty much a unanimous verdict. And if they're not able to reach that, uh, what happens usually is they'll come back to the courtroom and say, we haven't been able to reach a verdict. And the judge will tell them, go back for a couple of more hours. But eventually it becomes a hung jury. And, and what the defense attorney, the woman was doing really is what she said to the jurors, which is what really worried me. She said, listen, even if you think that they're 99% guilty, but there's 1% chance that they're not guilty, then legally you cannot bring back a guilty verdict. So she's basically telling them, if you have a little doubt, a little drop of a doubt in your body, that you cannot come back with a guilty verdict. And that is kind of what threw me off a little bit because we cannot guarantee that 12 people are sitting in that deliberation room being like, these three men are 100% guilty. They're, you know, people are human. They always decide, you know, maybe and have factors that they want to bring into it but when she said if you think they're one percent not guilty you have to come back with a not guilty verdict and that kind of threw me off so i'm not keeping my hopes up too much but i hope um that we come back with some accountability some justice because wanda cooper deserves that the ahmaud arbery family deserve, deserve that and really this past week i think black people in america deserve something especially as we go into the holidays yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I think it's going to be a guilty verdict, period. And, um, you know, I think, I think I, I, I do agree with you that we all deserve that. Um, I believe that there's someone or someones on that jury that just, that are able, that had, that were, okay, let me say this. I think the idea well, the fact that they have called for those videos means that someone or someones have said, stop trying to act like what, what, what happened did not happen. Perhaps it's a hung jury, but I think that whoever it is or whomever they are have made a strong case with the jury that what the defense attorney is trying to tell you is a trick. They're playing a trick on your mind but the truth is there and the proof is in the pudding. It's in the videos, in the tapes. So I was really encouraged by them calling for the tapes today. And I do think it's gonna be a guilty verdict, but I also think that one of the chilling factors is how the defense attorney took a lot of time to communicate certain things about black people, black men particularly, two white women with a majority white woman jury she said things that are it's a depiction of the super predators which is you know the, what what hillary clinton called um young black men years ago um that you know were perceived and or actually committing crime right she called them super predators and i think that uh the 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 words that the defense attorney used and the way in which she spoke about Ahmaud Arbery was yet another example of the narrative that is out there about Black men. And for me, there will be a guilty verdict, but the verdict is also guilty on how white women 
um, had for far too long conspired against Black men. And that's something that we also are going to have to address. Absolutely. And that's the, that's the part to me that also worried me. Because as we've experienced over the past couple of years that white women oftentimes, and of course not all white women, but white, some white women are not to be trusted. And watching the way the woman was trying to appeal uh, to their fears and the, the, the ways in which she described Ahmaud Arbery, which was the most disgusting, most outrageous thing that I've ever heard. And to the point where Wanda Cooper, which is Ahmaud Arbery's mother, had to walk out of that courtroom. That was also what worried me too. She was trying to paint this picture that Ahmaud Arbery is not the victim here. Um, that in fact, that the, the McMichaels were protecting the community from Ahmaud Arbery. And that that they were almost trying to say that 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 these you know these men were you know defending their communities that they were talking to the neighbors you know these are people these are good citizens that wanted a safe community for the children and she was talking about uh, you know she if you remember she was uh, kind of describing some of the neighbors like this elderly couple and the single woman who was living you know in a house by herself and then the, this family that had three little girls you know and 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 the, the way that she was trying she was implying things that were so racist um, that it was it was like, it was hard to even sit through that and listen to that. And I know she was spe specifically speaking directly to the white women in the jury. And I, and I know that one of the women on the jury who she continuously said, and, the, uh, and then the other defense attorneys were claiming that there was a woman on the jury that was like sleeping and wasn't really focused and paying attention. I think she may have been a white woman that might have been rolling her eyes and might not have been giving them the type of facial responses that they wanted because everybody else was like, I didn't see the lady sleeping. And so there might have been one white woman who was like, yeah, I'm not buying that. But then there are others that might have been buying into that argument. Well, thank you guys, man. You know, I love you guys. It's been a, it's been a tough week, but I, I wouldn't want to do it with anybody else with you, man. Until freedom, you know, the work that we do, and each one of you do. I'm a fan of you guys, so I just want to appreciate you and give you your flowers while you're here, man. Um, thanks for coming on, giving your expertise in in the in the field, and just you know just sharing space with us, and just just being here, man. We we just deal with so much just as a people, but we I know exactly what us four deal with on an everyday basis. So I just want to say thank you for getting up at 10 o'clock in the morning to join us on Street Politicians after you left us for two days and you only get three hours of sleep, man. I just want to say thank y'all for doing that. Thank y'all for we, having me. We love you, Mice and Tamika. I love, love you, Angelo. We're, we're all we got, fam. We're all we got. We all we got. We all we need. There you go. There you go. Well, thank yeah. you. We're going to see y'all later, man. We got work to do, so We'll hit y'all right after we get over here to be doing something else that's crazy that's out of our mind. So I love y'all. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes 
I guess identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow, thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's how we own it. Angelo and Linda are both like I mean I hope that people get to see the brilliance right like they get to see and understand why we spend so much time with the two of them because Angela's like the quiet storm he's like you know the he know he, his his analysis of these issues is so it's so deep and what I love is some lawyers is just legal but in his situation it's not just legal he also has a radical uh, position for what freedom fighting actually looks like and what justice looks like. And so, you know, I always appreciate talking to him. And then, you know, Linda, she's so uh, knowledgeable about these issues and the ways in which she pays attention to what's happening with Black folks is what real accomplishing, I don't even know if that's the right word, but real allyship, that's what it really, really looks like. And so, uh, you know, I just, I was, I'm glad we got up today to, uh, sit and talk with them because I think that the, the the depth of analysis that has happened with this show and you know what is to come is going to be important for people to be able to see beyond the emotional sort of knee-jerk reaction that we have to these cases. Um, so you know I always just appreciate having my brother and sister to be with us but my son it's got to be something that you don't get this week. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a lot that I don't get this week, man. You know, I, I just before before I get into that, I was just I was sitting here thinking when Angelo was giving his analysis, and um, and you were talking about how they were sending these dog whistles to the you know the conservative white women of, of how dangerous and these you know these things about black men, and I thought about Birth of a Nation. You know, I thought about there was an original movie about Birth of a Nation that had a, a man in blackface that painted the black man as this monster. You know, and the whole movie was to 
put fear of black men into white women, into white people. And that's exactly what, you know, the defense attorney was trying to do when she's talked about Amar's dirty nails and, and she talked about his baggy shorts and how he had, he had once been a good boy and somehow he went off. You know, and, and, and it's, this, is, this is the mentality that most white supremacists see of black people. And it's not even white supremacists, just white people who have been brought up on white privilege and white supremacy just to believe that black people, especially black men are just dangerous. You know, so when I heard that, it immediately clicked in my mind how, you know, this is how America thinks and how, and, and they don't even believe it to be racist. They just think, you know, yeah, black people are just dangerous, man. They steal, they kill, they, they can harm you. You know, when you see them, you should be scared of them. And it, it's a mentality that's been embedded in privileged white people who, who have never grown up around black people for as long as I've ever known. So I just wanted to say that. And basically what I don't get is I don't get none of this. You know, I don't get how after Trayvon Martin, we still talking about this. I don't get how Kyle Rittenhouse can go home and, and then be called the hero. I don't get how Ahmaud Arbery is still on trial, even though it's not the trial of Ahmaud Arbery. I don't forget, I don't get how we, as black and brown and, and marginalized people still have to look at a case that we know is clear cut murder and have to say, we don't know what's gonna happen. I just don't get why, why we've become so accustomed to injustice. We've grown so accustomed to not getting it right, or, or especially when it comes to us. You know, the, when in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, there's no black man that would have went to that trial. Every black man would have tried to figure out a plea bargain because they would have said they're gonna hang you. They would have looked and said, "You just killed these people, and you shouldn't have been there, and you had a gun, and we don't even know why you had a gun. You need to cop out. You would need to cop out and try to get the best thing so they don't kill you." I don't get how Julius Jones committed a crime or supposedly committed a crime in 19 that they found out that there is there is reasonable doubt to believe he didn't, and we the only thing we can ask is that they didn't murder him. They didn't, we, 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 could, we had to celebrate, not, not that after 20 years or 25 years in prison that they were freeing him, that they didn't murder him, that they didn't put lethal injection into his body and take his life for a crime that it, more often than not, he probably did not commit. But yet, Carl Rittenhouse is called a hero for killing people who didn't have anything, who didn't who we know, we watched him see this. We And yet, Ahmaud Arbery is on trial. I, I hate to say it, but Ahmaud Arbery is on trial. The lady sat in that courtroom and said that he refused to be captured. And for some strange reason, he chose to fight. And that really hurt me so bad because why should we allow you to capture us when we've done nothing wrong? What gives you the privilege to think that you could capture us and, 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 and trap us, and, and we supposed to not fight. You damn right he fought. He fought for his life because he seen white men trapping him on a road when he did nothing wrong as he jogged with guns, and he lunged because he said to myself, if I don't, they're gonna kill me anyway, so this is all I got to do is fight. And I don't know why we are crucified for fighting for our lives. So I don't get none of this shit. I don't understand none of this shit. And as I think about it more, it makes me more and more angry. It makes me sad that I have young black boys that I have to raise in this country where they will be on trial if a white man murders them.
don't think there's anything left to be said. That's it. I don't get it either. So I can't give an explanation. I don't get it. And I'm not going to make myself comfortable with or, or try to, you know, say, oh, well, this is just how it is. I refuse to do that. I will forever uh, try to be hopeful when situations like a verdict is imminent. I want to believe that it's going to go in the right way until it doesn't. Um, I'm going to always hope that this country, this nation can be better. And I'm going to always be outraged whenever a Black person or any marginalized community is threatened by the authority and the privilege, the white privilege, the white supremacist mindset that reigns over our society. And so, you know, that's, I guess that's naive of me. Maybe it's immature, maybe it's a lack of leadership and vision, but that's how I'm going to operate forever. Well, I, I love your optimism, Queen, but I just know for me, you know, the same song, you know, and as a black man and looking at that situation, knowing that I would have done the same thing, that I would not have been captured. I would have not allowed you to tell me that you're going to pull your gun and tell me to stop or you'll kill me and allow my your life, my life to be in your hands and for me not to fight back for my life. I would have did the same thing he did. I would have did the same thing Trayvon did, you know, and understanding that that ultimately might lead to my demise. It's a, it's a, it's a hard feeling, but it's, it's real for me, you know? So you, I, I want you to have the optimism queen. I'm just going to live life on life's terms and, and, you know, and w w I'm going to, Hope for the best, but I definitely have to assume the worst in America. And with that said, I'm not going to always be right. You're not going to always be wrong. But we will both always, and I mean always, be authentic. Peace. Listen to Street Politicians on the Black Effect Network on iHeartRadio. And catch us every single Wednesday for the video version of Street Politicians on iWoman.tv. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.